0: Welcome to On Balance. I'm your host, Dr. Rod Berger. I'll be your guide as we explore the stories of today with the personalities impacting tomorrow. Welcome to On Balance. I'm really going to look forward to this conversation and I hope that you will as well. Uh, the education audience writ large, not just here in the U.S. but across the globe. So many of you will know my next guest, uh, Anthony Salcedo. Uh, his, his, his uh, background. Uh, everybody, I think, knows, and he's been well versed and traveled. I should say across, across the the ed, ed tech and education landscape for a number of years. And Anthony, it's so nice to be syncing back up with you, and we've been able to see each other in the last couple of weeks. Um, and we, you know, years ago, I I had the pleasure and you know, the privilege to spend some time with you in London and to see you sort of in your element. And so one one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on today is to talk about sort of where we are, right? So when we talk about sort of the State of the Union, we are spring here, 2022. We're starting to not only think about sort of where we are here and how, what we maybe have accomplished during this academic year, but also what is it going to mean for next school year, summer, and sort of all these different support mechanisms. So I want to talk about needs and wants as we get started. Can you talk a little bit and put into perspective you know, pre and post-COVID, and I I put post-COVID in quotes there, so I don't want to send us down the wrong path, but let's talk a little bit about needs and wants when it comes to the industry, when it comes to providing supports for schools and what we think we need or what what we did need prior to COVID and what we're looking at now from a needs perspective, because it feels like a lot of things came to our plate in ways we didn't realize from a technology perspective. Talk a little bit about the balance between needs and wants and how that has changed over time.
1: Well, first off, Grodd, it's great to be with you again. Uh, And I always enjoy talking to you and looking forward to this conversation. Uh, There's a lot of need and want. And this is one of the things that I think is stressing the system Um, both the independent voices that school leaders are dealing with, with increased transparency across our digital networks to share points of view, which has led to, in many ways, pressure on. Uh, leaders to not only evolve but provide the right services to students. Uh, We'll always, I think, look back at COVID as sort of a milestone point uh, in relation to education transformation. And I think it's important to reflect on the thinking pre-COVID and how that can inform our our shift going forward and really what this new landscape enables. As someone who's been very much focused on technology's role, on transforming learning and providing opportunity for students, I would describe the pre-COVID journey of technology as trying to make a case for relevance uh, in a world that was actually thinking about technology's role in the wrong context. Uh, In many ways, schools were automating uh, with technology. I I would describe most technology strategies over the last 30 years prior to covid as acquisition focused we need to acquire devices acquire technology acquire digital books and materials and robots etc uh, and then automate a very traditional learning environment uh, if you think about the the actual the, the the core way in which technology was often used inside classrooms it would be devices on a cart that students would grab before the lecture started. They would take the device and move them to the desk. They'd use that device to take notes or engage with digital content while they were around their educators, their peers, uh, all the learning resources in the classroom. And then they would close that laptop, put it back on the cart only to leave school without connection to their students, without connection to the resources, often without a device at home, Uh, And that was optimized for schools because schools were really thinking about how do they build their technology landscape within their domain necessarily. And what I think COVID properly shifted was the understanding that technology's role is actually to extend the learning boundaries to provide access to information and connection when we're not together, most importantly. And it requires us to think more purposefully about how we use our interaction. Uh, and a lot of focus has been on the digital interaction. I actually think we've been undervaluing the purposefulness of the time together as humans. How do we use our lecture time? How do we use the the precious few hours that we have together with students and educators inside schools, and then leverage the role of technology to expand that and and pivot on it, uh, uh, use data to provide insight to educators on development? And I think that context is, is finally understood broadly. I think there were lots of folks and lots of school leaders who got it, but from a broad perspective, I think that has now become a, a real foundation for technology. And I think that creates a huge opportunity as we move forward.
0: I wonder if this creates a bit of an irony that we're talking about technology, right? But what you were just hitting on there spoke to me of culture right? So there's a shift in culture, this sort of understanding of the role. It's almost like if you think about a family unit and if somebody changes the role that they play, right? Uh, Whether it's, you know, someone going off to work or going off to school, but like sort of the roles have shifted a little bit and that there's actually a cultural element in this when we have to look at, to your point, what is it about our time that we're spending with one another in person And then by default, what is the impact of that and the way in which we engage or understand the power, the opportunity with technology? How much of culture is playing a role in this? And what role do we need to sort of, as the adults in the room, sort of up our ante in the education of the possibility? It's a
1: great point. And and frankly, this is one of the things that I have learned uh, in my travels with schools and working with great educators and leaders is that the people component, the environment and cultural elements is what makes school and learning and institution successful. You know, technology is a tool, a resource like everything else, a book, a piece of chalk. These are are all tools, but it's the people that make this work. We've got to be far more, and and I think we've made good progress in understanding students' mental state with a focus on social-emotional learning, a focus on building competency skills, which we recognize will be helpful as they not only build skills that ladder towards career, But really uh, provide them uh, the foundational skills that they're going to need to really build on their own passions and interests beyond the traditional curriculum environments. These are good uh, people first uh, changes that are happening uh, inside schools. I frankly think it reflects the workplace, ironically, in a a largely manufacturing based economy. Skills like creativity and collaboration not only were not as needed but they frankly were discouraged. Uh, in an in a economy that we're working towards and students in schools today will be building as they go into the world of work, these types of human skills are essential. Uh, ironically, as we move into a more digital future, the actual differentiation is actually because of human innovation, entrepreneurship, collaboration, connection. And th- these are the things that I think we're starting to get more attuned to in schools, which I think is a great leap forward.
0: It's a great point, Anthony. So I don't want to be cynical about this, but I do, I'm very curious about your assessment in this regard. Are we set up as a system to support the world that you're painting when it comes to the professional development, both in the classroom and I think in the administrative buildings? Because it does feel a little bit like false hope to think that we can, as an industry, sort of migrate from where we were to where we need to be to support young people in these sort of hybrid and, you know, sort of I'm in the classroom, I'm not in the classroom. I'm, you know, you start to see these, these evolutionary changes. And I I sort of want to be thoughtful about, are we providing the support? I mean, if you go back, I don't, you correct me on this, but it feels like in the last 10 years, even maybe a little bit longer, we had, you know, technology directors that weren't technology directors. It was like districts were starting to add titles to people who were trying to help support and they had some background. And now that has evolved, of course, into a profession of uh, of great need and skill. But we did have those transitions where it was library and media yeah, specialists. A computer and science me-
1: teacher was IT professional, right. yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah,
0: right. So talk a little bit about sort of the, do we have the supports in place to ensure that a superintendent can recognize where the gaps are or a chief academic officer or a science teacher, these sorts of things, because I think that then connects to, and we'll get to this the community component, the parent component, and the communication needed to co- sort of complete that—it's a
1: great point. Uh, and certainly, I think that the 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 reality is the the ability for us to deploy and deliver advanced technologies in schools to enable this type of future is becoming easier and easier. As cloud AI technologies uh, p- companies are getting a lot more savvy on what schools need as it relates to data quality and privacy. Uh, so we've gone a long way from the back office. Servers, implementation with patches and updates that were sort of littering and slowing down technology progress for years. Uh, In many ways, that's getting better. Um, The other reality is, as it relates to professional development and teacher training, in many ways, as we are more comfortable with this type of environment in our, our daily lives, it becomes easier for educators to transition. There was a time where technology entered classrooms to teachers who didn't have a computer at home or were using cell phones and social media. And that tension was frankly real. And we had to do a lot more professional development to get educators to understand the role of technology and how it could be effective in their their classroom. I think that's a shift that is also not happening. Frankly, technology industry in education needs to recognize and celebrate. And I would hope that system leaders Continue to to embrace, and I think this is the most for me as as working with technology for for a long time in education. This is with outside of the sort of the core shift of mindset to say technology's role is out of the school and out of the classroom. The bigger, the second biggest impact is the recognition for teachers that technology doesn't diminish their value, prestige, or impact. It actually can enhance it. We had a very global. Uh, example with the COVID response, when the world moved to digital rapidly for learning at home and remote schooling, we used technology to deliver that value. And the audience, the, 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 the folks that kind of grew in need and recognition were teachers, as frankly, we should have all realized, and I think many of us do, but the role of a teacher was clearly needed more than ever before. Parents had a frontline view of that value when their children were at the kitchen table seeing the kind of care, uh, commitment, patience teachers have to deliver every single day. And I think what we need to do is celebrate that, to say, hey, it's a technology, is a tool to help teachers, but the role of teachers is now more than ever before. There was a long time before COVID, which we may already even forget, that teachers were afraid of technology's rise because they felt it would diminish their value, in some cases, replace them. I would talk to teachers a long time who were were struggling with this notion of technology replacing their role. So you could understand why they wouldn't embrace it broadly because they saw it almost as a threat to their relevance and leadership. I think that we now know that, hey, we can do all these digital tools, all these digital experiences. We get a virtual learning all day long. But that human connection to a learner, to keep them engaged, motivated, uh, to help them uh, with social, emotional challenges, to uh, really understand what what is a unique connection that they can make to to learners to progress, that is a magical thing that teachers do and is absolutely essential going forward. And I'm, I'm excited about that because I think it's removed one of the restrictive barriers that we've had to really embrace transformation with technology and that was an unspoken thing. There was a real hurdle there because technology was almost an opponent to teachers. And I think that that's no longer uh, it's recognized that that's no longer true. and that's something we've got to make sure that we don't forget as we move forward.
0: Let's talk about the relationship of digital and physical environments. are we are we are we in the dating phase? Are we in a committed relationship when we think about how they, How digital and physical environments play together, how they can be accretive to one another, you know, I get the sense that it's probably quite the spectrum when we think about different districts, maybe resources that they have and or uh, opportunities they've had to engage in different ways to, I guess, uh, you know, reveal the opportunity when you combine these different elements. Where are we just in that relationship so that it's not this linear kind of a thing that it's actually something that's running in parallel, more of a synchronized swimming as opposed to a relay race where we're just handing off a baton? Yeah, I, think,
1: I, I think there's a lot of work that we need to do, frankly, as well as I think it even reflects in the way in cl- classrooms have been designed. Um, most schools optimize for flexibility inside of a classroom. And they they throw everything in with wheels and furniture that can pivot in seven different ways, et cetera, to create options for schools versus thinking about each room in a purposeful way for the the work that's going on, the modality of learning that's taking place. How do we outfit a lecture hall with the right capture equipment, uh, audio amplification materials? How do we create a, a, a maker space that's flexible and workable, et cetera? Uh, Schools don't operate that way, typically. They typically operate for doing a bit of everything in a classroom. And I think that's the same sort of thing with this hybrid dynamic. We're kind of sort of not optimized on either side. We're kind of just blending them together. And I think that we're going to need to be far more purposeful and intentional in how we use it. But the thing that I think we need to recognize, and I often see this sort of uh, the hybrid learning future is a, a future that virtual and physical are sort of combined and natural. And that's true. But I think that we need to push ourselves to understand that hybrid learning is far bigger than physical and virtual um, happening uh, in the same learning space. Hybrid is really about all the different modalities and the experiences within. Um, Just like the physical experience could include 40 students in a classroom, one-to-one instruction, uh, the ability for small groups to work on projects, students to have agency in a learning environment, Uh, virtual could include similar dynamics. Uh, We have virtual classes that are taking place, students involved in virtual tutoring. All of these things are part of the canvas that needs to be thoughtfully embraced uh, as assets for this new world of not only uh, learning, but personalized learning. Uh, I think that you know there was always a talk, and I, I, you know, in my early days, I was, uh, at, you know, starting 30 years ago, talking to schools about one-to-one learning. There was always been this dynamic on one-to-learning, learning potential and interest, uh, and certainly we certainly think that we have now more capacity and resources to make that realized, uh, and something that I think we we are going to have to recognize is going to be a demand for students students are going to want much more personalized attention they're they're not going to accept some of the limitations that we've baked into the system going forward and i think that's a good thing for us we just have to work to work to make that real
0: are we asking better questions not just as maybe uh folks that work in the industry but as parents like are we asking better questions that will allow us to Audit may be sort of a dirty word or, you know, too strong of a word, but so that we understand if we're making progress in the right way. I mean, are we, you know, in essence, do we have that map where we can understand, you know, yes, this is the most efficient, the most um, beneficial type of integration in the way we understand these environments and how we can support. Are we asking better and different questions, and are you seeing that in your travels, in your conversations, where people are more discerning in their ability to understand what is right in front of them, and then how to maybe pivot?
1: It's a there are a lot of there are a lot of questions that are often asked, and sometimes there's um, I would suggest a negative point of view that a lot of these questions start from. There's a lot of rock throwing at schools, at educators, uh, at the system of education. And this is all harmful, in my opinion, because it leads to regression, a fear of taking risks or chances from leaders, um, very concern, a, a high concern about transparency, about making the wrong decision. This is very true now with uh, federal funding dollars, where uh, there's a lot of dollars available, but certainly... Everyone is worried about spending it in the wrong way. When political elections come out, people don't want to be called to the carpet for misuse of dollars and, and all of that sort of thing. So I think we're, we're limiting because of a lot of these negative questions. What I think that we need to continue to do in every great education system starts with a society that has pride and celebrates the role of teachers, the importance of education, and takes pride in their system. And countries that generally have a negative reaction to their system, not only struggle to change it, but they create pressure for all of the people that are doing great work every day. One of the biggest limitations for people coming into the profession of teaching is the attitude that many people have about the profession. And we need to celebrate the the great work that's happening. So the questions that we, we need to ask are going to be about how can we get even better? How can we make a teacher even greater as opposed to the the questions that are often asked, which are break-fix questions? How do we fix a failed system? How do we uh, improve um, some of the poor things that are going on in a city or a district? I think we've got to take the right mentality. We say this with students every day, that mindset is critical, that we have to embrace a growth mindset that we have to bring optimism and enthusiasm to learners. I don't think that we say the same thing about the the folks outside criticizing education systems in any country, certainly true in the United States. I think that's the part that I think is more important than the questions. The thing that um, I will say though, as someone who's been trying to and and help leaders and school leaders transform, the big moment is upon us where the foundation of, of education um, you know, typically, by these A words are starting to come under attack. You know, and I look at sort of four main things that happen in, in education, all beginning with the letter of A, that are all starting to be questioned. The first is accreditation. Now, accreditation typically makes a school a school. Uh, we're starting to see this in higher education, where uh, s- certainly certifications that are in you know independent, o- often coming from companies and hiring. Organizations uh, providing their own certification. That's a path to skilling and often job placement that students are now looking at. Hey, I can get a Google certification and get a job uh, with a company that needs Google certification, or I got AWS Cloud or Microsoft Azure skills and I can go right to work. That's a a, a new path. And certainly other third party uh, non accredited uh, education offerings are now blossoming, and the students have far more uh, agency to do that. And that creates Challenge, how do schools pivot? What does the, the role of a school uh, look like in this landscape? That's a big one. The next one is attendance. And we've just seen a great example where attendance used to mean showing up at a physical place. You know, Outside of the very small virtual schools that existed before COVID, most of the, the focus on education attendance was being there. Uh, and that's now come into question. Hey, we can learn remotely, it's more natural. Whether we do that as a full-time thing or part of our experience, that creates options and pivots for schools to consider going forward. How do we design a campus for a greater, a greater capacity, knowing that not everyone has to be there? What do we, how do we cycle that down? How do we think about the school calendar in a way that optimizes this presence of virtual and physical, which we're not doing at all yet. We're still doing the same thing where buildings are underutilized, uh, where we're cycling students in a very fixed schedule and agenda. Everything should be changed as we start to think about that. The other, obviously, one is assignments and assignments. There's a lot of debate on homework and how we think about digital and resources. All of that, I think, is is there. And then the last one is the most, frankly, the most important is assessment. And we're we're seeing this happen now with with standardized assessments. We're seeing universities, um, you know, decide to make standardized attes- assessments not part of academic uh, consideration. Now they're going backwards, but there's a lot of discussion on assessment. So these A's. You know, accreditation, attendance, assignments, and uh, uh, assessment are all now uh, in the right lens. We're debating them, we're thinking differently, and we're going to need to think differently about the implications of the changes that are happening around those things to truly transform learning in schools. Um, I think that all the other stuff that has been happening that haven't been connected to those four things... um, have been nice, but you're not going to move the needle on true change until you really leverage the, the, those four things to rethink uh, what it means to be in school.
0: You touched on it uh, previously, t- talking about teachers and the value in celebrating, and I am right there with you. you. You know, there's something that's that's popping up, and I hope that it's more bluster and myth than, than reality as we are turning the corner for some districts towards the end of the school year, you know uh in in late spring which is this concept of the big quit now we can we can supply more and more tablets and more technology to districts but the human capital side of things this could be this sort of crossroads this point for education to understand wait a minute to your point if we don't value the humans that are involved in this we may not have enough to be able to support the students that we have within our communities I've seen that in my own local community with a number of of teachers that have already resigned, a principal who's taking early retirement. So with that as a backdrop, just how should we understand the reality of the educator? And what are some things that we can do to help support what looks like a shortage of talent potentially as we turn into August and September, you know, in just a few months?
1: It's a great point. And certainly every organization in every industry is facing sort of the repercussions of the great resignation, so to speak. And I think it requires every institution, every industry to think about um, their their employees. What kind of experience are they having? Uh, How do we provide the right services and flexibility, both with regards to work style and engagement? I've had the pleasure of working uh, with teach.org to address teacher capacity challenges in the United States. Uh, And recognizing and and talking to students in colleges of education and understanding their motivations of becoming teachers, capacity of and recruitment of of teachers is a concern in every country currently uh, across the spectrum, not only in K through 12, but even certainly more actually compellingly in advanced PhD candidate professors and computer science professors. We have have gaps across this landscape. Uh, what I think we're going to need to do, just like sort of the economy is shifting to a, a gig economy, is create more flexibility where people can be teachers uh, in, in addition to other things, or maybe have uh, have more flexibility in the in the work style and approaches. This is something that is very foreign in K through twelve right now, but very common in higher ed institutions. Uh, uh, higher education institutions have done a lot more to have faculty that teach one course a week. Um, because they're in a full-time job, they're a doctor, et cetera, teaching in med school for one course. That dynamic doesn't exist in K through 12. We're starting to see this now with virtual tutoring offerings where you've got independent contract models, where you've got great people across all these different industries that are actually tutoring kids on the side. It's a huge example of, I think, the beginning of a change on this gig economy mentality. But the thing that I think that we need to do with regards to teaching, not only is celebrate the incredible impact that teachers have, but really open up the profession from a skill set perspective to other industries. Uh, this is a, a bit of a, 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 a notion that I think is controversial to some, but it's it's meant with the best of intent. That if you look at other industries, they often will will celebrate the path to other connections and skills that you can have. Folks will say, hey, if you want to go into construction or real estate, maybe a law degree is a great skill. You see this when we advertise the, uh, the military, we highlight the fact that you can gain skills that will help you post-military. And I think that we tend not to think about that with the education profession. That's sort of That's the end destination, which we want people to be teachers for life. But what happens is students don't know at 18 or 20 if that's what they want to do for their life. But if we recognize the amazing things that teachers have from a core skills perspective as not only great as a teacher and the impactful, but you can see that value. Teachers deal with you know, managing people. They're dealing with lots of folks that they're managing, the 40 kids that they deal with every day, the parents, et cetera. They deal with a very complex, dynamic environment. They have great public speaking skills. Uh, they are great understandings of humans and understanding how to motivate and engage. These are skills that, frankly, many industries are craving for. And if we elevated the profession, open it up, so to speak, where people can say, I want to be a teacher, but I, I, because I know, I may not know what I want to do at 18, but I think if I'd be a teacher for five years, 10 years, I can gain the skills that will be great in so many other careers and professions. And employers recognize that. What you'll do is you'll get a lot more people interested in the profession, which will always re- refresh the field. You'll get a lot of people stay as many teachers do because they're excited about the amazing work that they get a chance to do and the impact that they can have on young lives. And then I think everyone will see it differently. And I think that's what's gonna be necessary. Um, that's the thing that I think has been holding us back. And now I say that and I set up the upfront, Lots of educators don't like that point of view because they see teaching as a destination, not as an entry point. And there's been a lot of Teach for America and other things like that where people dabble for a year that I think is dangerous. I'm not suggesting something like that. I'm suggesting that the the teachers in classrooms today have value And, and I've hired them in my career and seen the success of teachers coming from the classroom and thriving in a large complex organization. And I don't think that the profession has been opened up enough from perspective on, on young students, uh, because it's almost like a calling um, that I think, while great to some extent, I think is risky as we think about this new dynamic of economies. We often reference the fact that um, people will have seven or eight careers in their life. And um, if you look at the sort of the average uh, job uh, uh, flexibility on the education profession and teaching roles, it's much smaller. Uh, people tend to be teachers for life. And I think that's, uh, while a great thing in some respects, I think it's limiting the profession in terms of growth and new applicants. And
0: yeah, don't you think it's, it, part of it is a marketing issue? I mean, if, if we really step back and we sort of take away the label of teaching or whatever the job is or the, or the category of profession, it's a pretty tough sell to a young person to say, option A, <laughs> sign up for a 30-year term, right, With with sort of, low to minimum, you know, growth potential from a income perspective, a revenue perspective, and how many young people are going to raise their hands. And so that to me is a little bit dangerous, both as a citizen, a community member, a parent, it, because every other industry, to your point, there is great flexibility. So I'm wondering if there are public-private partnerships or ways in which to engage local businesses and communities so that the next sort of generation of teacher could be, to your, maybe there's teaching two days a week and the other three days they're working in industry. And there's great, because we notice that as college students, from a choice, you can go to schools where you have professors that are actively in that industry. What a fantastic benefit.
1: We're seeing that start now with, with obviously the tutoring environment uh, where uh, companies like Varsity Tutors is providing virtual tutors. Um, who are full-time in in their field of study, frankly, and that provides tremendous benefit to students and and the educators who, hey, that's a great perspective that I can't provide you as a teacher. Uh, This is just like every organization, every industry has to provide more flexibility, whether it's whether you can work from home, um, work different days a week, having more flexible schedule. This is going to happen, and it's already happened in higher ed by and large, but I think we're going to start to see this in in K through 12 as well. And I think that's great in some respect because we're gonna expand our potential to personalize learning even more by having these types of resources uh, in tow. And I do think uh, we need, as part of the sort of rebranding of the value of teachers, one of the things we have to recognize is when you ask, and, and we learn this with teach.org and the research that we do with colleges of ed and students interested in per, per careers. When you ask students, young students who, about, who are thinking about their job, typically they're not often motivated by money by and large. Some are, they wanna be help, happy and be able to afford a family, et cetera. But they're typically motivated by impact. They wanna make a real impact on society. They also want to work in a, a job that's dynamic, that they're learning and growing and building skills. Uh, they want to work with people. Um, and when you look at the things that students are designing, you would almost say that's a teacher. That's That role is best suited to teacher. But when you ask students to describe the role of teacher, they often would not use the same words that they, they connected when they, they thought about what they idealized in the world of work. And I think we've got to do a little bit of um, more work to elevate the profession to, to really let people into the amazing things that teachers are doing and the impact that they are truly having and i think that's organizations like teach.org are essential to do that but i think we've got to make sure that every leader sees this as a new capacity um, the, the, the the chief of hr in school districts is now a much more critical person uh, both not only for recruitment and retention but really, building that flexibility in terms of work style and the organizational health uh, inside of school districts, uh, and I think that's essential as we go forward.
0: Let's let's wrap on this. Let's talk a little bit about just you personally and what you've experienced and learned about yourself through this process. I, I would call you an explorer of sorts, um, because when you came on the scene, there wasn't another Anthony Salcido. So I can say that. You, you you'd be more humble about that, but talk about what you've learned in this process, because I think. We have truly been, you know, the industry has thankfully been exploring, right, going to sort of new lands and and frontiers and not understanding what we will find or the impact or how it might change the, you know, the the teacher-learner relationship or communicating with parents and all these sort of advancements. What has been the impact on you when you think about the responsibility that you, I would imagine you take on, because I know how passionate you are about this industry, in being thoughtful and being mindful about either the advice and or the direction you might point someone or an entity or a district or a company when they are inquiring about all that you have attained through your travels talk about how that's changed you just as a man and as a professional yeah
1: it's 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 certainly been profound um one of the reasons why i will always tr- say celebrate teachers etc because i've seen firsthand um you know humbling and you know people who are working uh, and and having far greater impact than I could ever hope to think to have because of the work that they do Uh, committed professionals that, you know, not only embrace with optimism and hope, very, very tough situations uh, and are really doing it for kids to to really help others. So, you know, being a servant leader uh, has come from really seeing that Uh, happen every day with teachers in the classroom. So I've been humbled by that. It's also motivated me to make sure that we remove a lot of the negativity that exists. I see leaders who are more worried about risk uh, and impact, what what could happen and could go wrong uh, than Um, than they are about really driving for success. That's partly because of a lot of the negativity and sort of the influence that happens across folks that are looking to to challenge. This has been very true with simple things like discussing education policy or curriculum design. Many, many voices are are slowing progress. So uh, I always try to recognize the importance of of celebrating those amazing people along the way in every country of the world. Um, No one should ever think to criticize the the work, whether it's leaders, educators in this space, we've got to, you know, the right thing to do is celebrate and figure out how we can help. The other thing I will say as a kid growing up in the inner city in the Bronx, uh, and I now work on the board of the Network for Teaching Entrepreneurship, helping young youth, et cetera. I've, I've seen firsthand that lots of kids in academic situations uh, countries or economic conditions that um, are often underprivileged uh, and uh, sometimes overlooked. Uh, these students have tremendous potential and capacity, and we are we are hurting ourselves as a society if we don't help every learner uh, push themselves and have the confidence to dream big, to have a commitment to putting their talents forward to help the world, to help themselves, to help their community and family. Uh, There's tremendous opportunity there. So uh, if we can spark hope in the learners that walk into a classroom or get access to a device or connect to a teacher or a tutor, any of that stuff, we can fundamentally change the world. That's the, frankly the most important thing that all of us should go go to, to school every day knowing. I think teachers get that. Um, But it's true and real. We often get cynical about it, but it absolutely is true. So we've got to think about equity and access. We've got to make sure that we are caring for the underrepresented, underprivileged kids uh, in every society because they are just as capable and frankly, uh, in some cases, will bring a better perspective and hunger to solving some of these challenges uh, than than other students. And we've got to unlock that. And if we can do those things as a society, celebrate teachers, unlock uh, the potential in children... And youth, uh, I think we can we can be proud of the work that we do, and that's essentially what I'm motivated to to do every single day.
0: Well, just like we want our airline pilots to be rested so we can get to where we want to go, uh, we hope that you are rested and supported because we are a better industry with you at the helm. We want to thank Anthony Salcido. Until next time, sir, I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. This concludes another chapter of On Balance. Connect with me via LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Dr. Rod Berger.